Hey, what's going on, travelers and outdoors enthusiasts? I'm Jason, and you're here on the Days Travel Podcast. Joining us today is Madeline Millard. She's the park interpreter of Bastrop and Bishard State Park in Texas. She will be telling us everything you need to know about these two parks. Bastrop and Bishard. So it's two separate yep. state parks. They are. Um, we're under the Lost Pines Complex, so they two parks are run by the same park superintendent and then also has a couple of different employees that um, work for both parks, like our resource manager and me. Um, so we uh, are only 15 minutes away, so we have kind of a really unique situation of being really close to each other, and it's both in the Lost Pines area. So there are two separate parks, but also... Um, run by kind of the same people. That, that yeah, that makes sense. It's it's run by the same people. You guys are really close to each other. Um, it just it sounds like you guys are very hectic because you guys have to like run from one park to the other compared to most parks. Is just under one park. <laughs> yeah, it can get a little hectic, but it's really nice. Um, sometimes it feels like my own little vacation. If I've been at Bastrop State Park for a couple of days in a row, and then I head over to Bisher to do some stuff, it feels like. Uh, a little bit of a vacation away from Bastrop. So it's kind of nice to get to work in both parks. They're both, um, they are both really special, but they are, have like unique differences with both of them. Um, Bisher has a 25 acre lake that people can canoe and kayak and fish off of. And it's got like really beautiful thick vegetation there with uh, oak trees with Spanish moss dripping off of it. So uh, tons of wildlife, just really, really pu- pretty and beautiful. Uh, and then Bastrop has a bunch of awesome loblolly pine trees. Um, and it was more so affected by the fire in 2011. So it doesn't have as much vegetation as it used to, but it's also a really unique experience of getting to see what a forest looks like bouncing back from a big amount of devastation. Um, and we have more wildlife than we used to actually before the fire. Um, it opened up um, more for more grasses to come in after the fire. So we actually have more deer, um, turkey, hogs that you can see now than you would before the fire. Um, but we have a lot of really good hiking trails and um, some mountain tra- mountain biking trails at Fisher and also some biking trails at Bastrop. So there's really good things at both parks. Um, and they, they both have unique, beautiful differences about them. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like one one side, um, Bastrop's, sounds like a more of a, a forest kind of a terrain. And then like, um, Bisher is, is a more water and lake type of deal. Um, so how did you get started at this these two parks? How did you end up where you are right now? That's a great question. So um, I'm going to do a, a little bit of a background. Um, I just grew up with my dad. He always took me outdoors hunting and fishing and camping. I loved just being outside, being the tomboy when I was little. And he actually works for Texas Parks and Wildlife in the IT division. So um, they used to have these things called expos um, at headquarters during October. And it was like two days of like, they would offer tons of different fishing areas and people could shoot all kinds of different guns at targets to like learn how to, to start aiming and properly using guns. And you could learn how to do bow and arrow and camping and fish and just all kinds of different stuff, really great outdoor things, activities. And I would volunteer with him every single year. Um, and I just loved 
love the Texas Parks and Wildlife spirit. I love their mission. I love the people that he worked with and what they were doing. And I knew that I always wanted to work for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, so I got my degree in wildlife management. Um, it was natural resource management with an emphasis in wildlife management and graduated and found out it was really hard to get in Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, there's not very many openings because um, less than 5% of Texas is public land. The rest is private. So if you think about how big Texas is, it's, there's, that's not a lot of land compared to other states that is public land. So there's really not that much opportunity um, for employment in that kind of venue. Um, so after applying to lots of jobs and not hearing much back, I decided that I needed to um, volunteer more. And so I volunteered with McKinney Falls State Park for a couple of months with their interpreter there. Um, I just acted like it was my job. I went there from eight in the morning until 5 p.m. And then there was a flood there in October in 2013. So they didn't have their visitor center anymore. So um, instead of volunteering there, I went over to headquarters and helped out with their permit section of wildlife and volunteered there for another three to four months. Um, and that got me a lot of really great experience. And I got to meet a lot of really awesome people that work for Tax Parks and Wildlife. Um, and I still didn't get a job there yet. I decided that I wanted to get more experience out of this state. And that's what I heard was the good thing to do. Um, so I actually got my first job with the Forest Service in Colorado. And Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it was really, really great. I was just getting to ride a UTV and spraying noxious weeds. I did range, rangeland management and invasive plant species management in Colorado. So it was awesome. I just got to ride a UTV through the forest every day, um, killing invasive plant species so that the natives could come through and thrive better. And then from there, I got a job with the National Park Service in Grand Teton National Park, which was my favorite place, doing the same stuff, uh, helping out with their invasive plant species management. We just hiked like 10 to 15 miles every day in the backcountry with backpack sprayers. It was in the best shape of my life and also got to see really amazing things that not a lot of people get to see in just an extraordinary place. So I went there for two, two seasons in a row because uh, these were all seasonal jobs. Uh, and then I got a job with Padre Island National Seashore, working with the sea turtles. And that was really, really neat getting to um, help the endangered Kimsterly sea turtle. It's one of the most endangered sea turtles in the world, and we have it coming to our Texas coast. So that was really, really awesome to get to help them out. Uh, and then that and you said me. that was like in San Pedro area? Is, or? Uh, North Padre Island. North Padre North Island. Padre. Yeah, kind of between Corpus Christi and Port Aransas. Um, they it. even have sea turtle releases during the, um, like, pretty much right now, June and a little bit of July, they'll have hatchling releases. So that's really a cool thing to check out um, to get to see those little ones trying to make it into the ocean. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I went to Cape Hatteras National Seashore, which is on the shore of North Carolina. It's a barrier island. And that was probably one of my most favorite jobs um, that I had for a seasonal lifestyle at National Park Service because I got to do um, help out with the sea turtles over there, the endangered and threatened sea turtles. But I also got to learn how to do some birding, which I had never gotten to do before. And I got to help out some of the endangered and threatened seabirds. And so I just got to watch wildlife all day and take notes about what they were doing and uh, look for eggs, look for signs of mating and nesting and if anything was hatching and take care of um, 
just making sure that those nests were taken care of and kept protected. Uh, and that was an incredible job. Uh, and then my last job was last year with um, Moki Mountain National Park. And I got to work with elk and black bear and wild hogs. And then from there, I've been taking interviews with Texas Parks and Wildlife all during this time, really. And I finally was getting a lot of positive feedback with interviews last year and had this interview. And uh, this area is where I grew up in Bastrop, Smithville and Austin area. Um, I grew up in Smithville the first five years of my life, kind of playing around in the pine trees. My family had a farm. And so I grew up getting to smell the pine needles and hear the wind blowing through there and just like knowing what it smells like in Texas on a hot summer day, whenever the, the Texas sun is just like heating up the red dirt and heating up the pine needles that just smelled and felt like home to me. So I knew I wanted to come back to this area. And luckily there was an opening for the interpreter in the volunteer position here. And uh, during all of my time with the National Park Service, one of my favorite things was getting to help make people's vacations a little bit better. Um, being a wildlife or a rangeland person, you don't really get to interact with people that much, but there's always that opportunity whenever you're kind of in out in the field and uh, people are hiking around. And uh, it was just my favorite thing to get to talk to people if they had any questions about the area and answer that for them, tell them all the cool things that there were to do and to see, uh, take pictures of their family on vacation. It was just a great time. So I knew that um, doing this kind of work was something that I would enjoy. And so I got an interview for this position and loved all of the people that I interviewed with, knew it would be a fantastic group to work with and a really awesome place to work. And it lucked out that I got it. So I left um, I left Smoky Mountain National Park early to start this job last August. So it hasn't been a full year yet, but it's getting there. Wow. You've been, wow. That's an amazing like journey. That's, you've yeah. been full circle. It's, I mean, I highly encourage people that are interested in doing this kind of line of work, whether it be wildlife, rangeland, or interpretation or working for the state parks, Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, encourage people to start, you know, just maybe venture off a little bit, go check out the Forest Service, the National Park Service, um, kind of move around while you can. You're not tied down to anything, so might as well go explore and see how things are run in different areas and just get to enjoy that and get that different experience. And then that'll give you tons of experience, great experience to come back and work for Texas Parks and Wildlife later. Hey there, Traveler. I hope you're learning a lot from this week's podcast. And if you'd like to support us, go check out www.daystravel.com and enjoy the rest of this episode. Um, so the vegetation, since you said it was caused by a fire, how are you guys um, rejuvenating that part? Great how question. are you guys doing? So the fire was in 2011 and it burned through 96% of the park. Um, which is a little bit over 6,000 acres. And um, we planted over 2 million trees after that fire came through. And these Wabali pines here are actually really important. It's, the reason it's called the Lost Pines is because this is the further furthest western standing Wabali pine tree stand. We are separated from the east Texas pine trees by about 100 miles, a little bit over 100 miles. Um, and these trees are actually genetically different than those over there. They can withstand 30% less of rainfall 
a year annually than the other pine trees in East Texas. So we actually had to get the the pine tree saplings that were from this area. We wanted to keep that same genetics here. And um, we collected a lot of the seeds from leftover mature pine trees that were left in the park and planted those seeds so that we could have the same exact genetics. But we planted over 2 million pine trees. Um, The reason for that, of course, there was a lot of devastation, but we also can't go through and water every single one. So it's kind of survival of the fittest. You plant a bunch hoping that some crop will make it. And we did have some years where there was um, not a lot of rain, so less than 5% would make it. And then we had some years that we had good rain, so maybe 50% would make it. Um, But we planted a lot of trees. We've really gotten to see what what it takes to make this come back. And we found out that um, leaving all of those dead pine trees that were burned, leaving those standing up actually helped bring back the area better, quick, more quickly. Oh, wow. And yeah, it, it's crazy because a lot of people ask why we leave them up because they do kind of look bad and they're a reminder of what happened, which can be really sad for a lot of people because it was a very devastating fire. But what we found out is that those pine trees, they can provide shade. Um, they can provide, if they fall over, they provide an area that can hold water better. So it helps prevent erosion from happening. Um, birds have been coming to the area because that has been bringing different um, fungus and different insects. And so it's a good feeding ground for a lot of different birds, especially a lot of different woodpeckers. And those birds will bring in more seeds, which, you know, they poop out the seeds and then we have a lot different vegetation that comes in and can grow in and move in quicker. So we found out that the areas that we left, those dead standing trees, the little pine saplings that we planted thrived and the vegetation came back a lot better than if we just cleared it out and got all those dead trees out. Um, so you'll get to see that whenever you come to the park, you'll see areas where we've cleared out and it doesn't look as good as the areas where we've left the dead trees. And you'll get to see areas where we've done some Um, mechanical and chemical removal of some oak trees because we have kind of a scrub oak that uh, it comes back really fiercely and if you uh, cut it off at the base it'll come back with like 20 more sprigs coming out of the base so it'll look more like a bush than a tree so we've had to go through (laughs) and remove some of those a little bit so that the pine saplings and other native vegetation would have a better chance of coming back and uh, we do have a lot of first succession or second succession plants that come back after the fire that have kind of taken over. But like I said, we've been trying to mechanically and chemically remove them where we can so that um, the natives can come back better. And so we've had, I guess, a couple months ago, I had somebody on a hike that this used to be their favorite park before the fire came through. And it just broke their heart. And so they had never come back since 2011, like had not come back until a couple months ago. And they were just so happy with how well everything was coming back, how some of the pine saplings were already teenagers. They're about, you know, 17 feet tall. Then you have your little babies that are only like a foot tall. So they they really enjoyed seeing the difference and seeing how well it was bouncing back and how beautiful it's looking now. Oh, wow. You guys did a great effort from from that tragedy. I mean, it makes sense that you guys are leaving the trees because we are in Texas and it does get really hot. So the shade does really help a lot, you know, for the trees to go back. And you mentioned that, um, so planting 2 million trees, that's not an easy feat. So do you guys have like programs with the locals to come out and help and, or just, you know, just a program in general that you guys, you know, have every, you made into an event or something that help with this 
um, the progression of growing back trees? Yes, there were events. We didn't do it all just at one time. It was over um, a span of several years, and there was lots of groups that would come out. We had a big um, group excuse me, from A&M that came out. We would have a lot of volunteer groups, um, but there would be tree planting days where the local community or anybody that wanted to volunteer and do that could come out and help. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Days Travel Podcast. I also want to give a huge thank you to all my supporting contributors out there. This podcast and my other content at www.daystravel.com won't be possible without you. So keep supporting me and watch out for my future content. Thank you.